Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 125, Insights at the Edge. This week, we're joined again by Tammy Simon, founder of the spiritual media company Sounds True. We discuss her latest project, Insights at the Edge, and also tap into her decades of knowledge concerning the best and brightest spiritual teachers around today. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. So Tammy, you recently started interviewing a bunch of spiritual teachers, luminaries, authors, and this project you're calling Insights at the Edge. And currently it's, it's in podcast form. So each week there's a new interview up and you've been interviewing people like Jack Cornfield, Parker Palmer, your teacher, Reggie, Tara Brock, you recently interviewed. So you've been interviewing a lot of really interesting people and you've been asking them tough questions. You've been asking them about their edge. Well, I wanted to call the series Grill the Guru, but the, oh, the folks at Sounds True were like, no, bring it back. Grill so the we, Guru? Yeah, yeah. That's a good title though. Yeah, okay, well, you can use it. <laughs> okay. I just bought the URL. Okay. <laughs> so I wanted to hear a little bit about, about the vision or intention behind the Insights at the Edge podcast. And you've, you kind of already yeah. touched in on it. Well, it's actually not to be adversarial or grilling in that kind of way. But it's more to sort of find out what do people know from their own experience when they're not prepared, when they haven't, when they're not giving you their shtick. And so that's, that's what I'm interested in. And part of it is in, you know, all these years at Sounds True, publishing all these different teachers. Part of my original impetus when I was 21 and started the company was I wanted to find out who's for real. Are you for real, oh, spiritual teacher? I mean, you come up, you, you talk, blah, 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 but I want to meet you in the bathroom if I can, or in the hallway, or I want to know what your wife or partner thinks about you, or I want to see what it's like at 2 a.m. and you have a nightmare and you can't sleep. What do you do? How do you handle it? And I want to know how the practice that you're talking about and how you present, what, what's that really like? And so I've you know thought about it different ways of, you know, I've spent my career kicking the tire, you could use that as a metaphor, or sniffing the you-know-what, the tush, of all of these different teachers just trying to find out what does it smell like from that end? Do you know what I mean? And so in a sense, the podcast interview series is really a natural outgrowth of a lot of my original motivation at Sounds True, which is to learn and grow, really. And by finding out what people know, it's as interesting finding out what they know as what they don't know. Meaning what they don't know, oh, okay, so that's a gap in that person's, but what do they know? And, you know, what I've found in each interview is that people know things. And they have jewels, and those jewels are the takeaway that are offered to other people. You can even really find their jewels better by talking to them and stripping away the hype. What's the real jewel that this person really knows in their blood? What are some of the jewels you've run across so far in your, yeah. in your talking to these teachers? Well, there have been a couple moments that have moved me the most. I'd say the first was with Terry Tempest Williams. Uh, she was recording at Sounds True the audio version of her new book, Finding Beauty in a Broken World. And 
she was describing what it was like as a barefoot poet in Rwanda and looking at these mass graves and her experience and how she could see an opening of compassion in the world through being there with these other women and people from all over the world who came to report on the experience, Barefoot Poets. And I looked at her and I said, what eyes are you looking through that give you the kind of image, the information? And when the moment when I said that to her, what eyes, she just, her eyes just started tearing and crying. Fortunately, we had a, a video camera at the time too, so it's an audio podcast, but we're able to capture some of these on video. And, you know, it's interesting, actually, because what that reminds me of is how often the most important things I've learned interviewing people haven't been the things they've said. They've been little things I've observed. I mean, for example, when I had the chance to interview Thich Nhat Hanh, and this was a while ago, before we started the interview, it was time for breakfast because I came a little early and blah, blah, blah. And and it took him about maybe five minutes to peel the banana. And it was the most beautiful relationship I've ever seen of a person to a banana for breakfast. And I learned more from that than I did the entire two-hour interview that we did. I'll never forget the way he looked at the banana before he peeled it, the way he took the first, you know, and he wasn't performing for me. He was just eating his banana, you know. So I understand you actually started Sounds True doing an interview series on KGNU. That's kind of like where it started. Yeah, in a sense. I mean, I would say it started with dropping out of Swarthmore College and realizing that I couldn't follow uh, and learn what I wanted to learn in an academic setting. And I went to India for a year. And when I came back and started Sounds True here in Boulder, really what I was wanting was to continue the education that I felt I couldn't get in a traditional academic environment. And what I discovered was that the best way for me to learn was to have a dialogue with somebody. And that, yeah, I could read their books, blah, 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 but there's something happened when I engaged one-on-one with somebody that I could learn all kinds of things. And I just like, it's just like, just tell it to me. Just tell me. And I could learn so much by the language that they used, as I just mentioned, by uh, visual cues that I was receiving, by the tone of their voice, by how they worked with space or didn't. Did they talk like this and just keep going? I mean, I learned something about how their mind worked or versus the way people pause even in a sentence or before they ask a question. And so for me, interviewing people and starting Sounds True was all this desire to really feed myself with the kind of learning I needed and in the process be of service to other people thinking there must be some percentage of the world that learns in a similar way, I hope. And you know, I got to find a way to support myself, support my learning habit. Uh, I'm sure you can relate to that, Vince. Sure. And Ryan, as as people who work on these kinds of projects, you know, it's like, this is what I want to do. And is there any way I can serve other people at the same time and make enough money from it to keep it going? So that was the original inspiration behind Sounds True 24 years ago. And then to have a podcast series now, because, you know, as you know, you've been consulting with us and helping us develop our podcast series meaning with the internet and its capacity, this is a way to reach so many people Mm. for Sounds True to be able to offer the best of our relationship with these high-level authors for free. That's the realization of a dream for me. I mean, we've spent the last couple decades plus 
creating really wonderful programs and charging people for them because that was what our business model was. And as I said, we had to have to remain self-sustaining. But then coming into a time where actually having a free podcast will benefit the company from a marketing standpoint, and then we can put out this kind of really good dharma for free is so fulfilling and wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And you're coming back kind of to the roots. Totally. Yeah. And you can find Insights at the Edge at www.soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And it occurred to me, I was listening to you speak to Parker Palmer on the way to work, and I, I realized, wow, Tammy's really been exposed to so much spiritual wisdom over the past few decades. And it'd be really interesting to ask her, what are some of the things she's been, the authors, resources, teachings that she's been most kind of impacted by, most blown away by? It'd be interesting for those people out there that are on the spiritual path to kind of get Tammy's kind of top picks or resources. Mm. What have been most significant to you or you've seen that have been most significant to others? Sure. Yeah, well, could you just, share that? I can share what comes to mind. Yeah, please. So you mentioned Parker Palmer, and I'd like to bring him up because, like, what's Parker Palmer doing being talked about on Buddhist Geeks? Right. And at the end of my last conversation with him, he said something interesting. He said, you know, you and I can have good conversations because we have just enough in common and just enough not in common to have an interesting conversation, meaning there's a, a part where he and I really connect, and then he's got a whole world of social action and... Um, kind of Quaker concern, I mean, all kinds of things that I, I just, it's not that I'm not interested, I just don't have that much to talk to him about. But what I saw in him was somebody that through intense experiences of depression, clinical depression, what he said is that at first he saw the darkness in his life and he saw himself as darkness, but then he actually, quote unquote, became the dark. I don't want to try to sentimentalize or make it seem easy the process that he went through in fact part of what he and i talked about is why some people who go through those kinds of depressions kill themselves and other people don't and how he doesn't know the answer to that because the depression was that debilitating but what he learned from that experience was unbelievable to me and what i felt being with him since he knows what it means to be the dark was that i could say anything there was the complete space for my emotional experience, like I was with one of the greatest spiritual teachers of all time. And here's somebody who's involved in political reform and you know, helping educators with his books, The Courage to Teach and The Courage to Lead. And yet, because of his experience with clinical depression, I mean, what I said to him is being with you is like sitting next to a fire. A fire meaning it's so warm, it's so accepting, it's so transfixing. And part of what it made me start thinking about, and this relates a little bit to your question about Sounds True authors in general, is how people can be initiated into spiritual reality, into the boundlessness of space, into the boundlessness of our essential identity through all kinds of things. I mean, for Parker, it was depression. But let's think of another person here that I worked with at Sounds True just briefly. It was never a very popular program, although it's an incredible program, Julia Butterfly Hill who we created a program about her experiences sitting in Luna, the tree. She was initiated into the feeling nature of reality through her love affair with a tree. Amazing. And then someone who I interviewed recently, Janine Roth, who previously I would have said, well, you know, look, I don't really have food problems. She's the food lady. She helps people who sit in front of the refrigerator, take five breaths and close the refrigerator and sit down, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
But she has just gone through this experience and is writing a new book called Losing Everything about how she lost all of her life savings, 30 years of life savings, during the Madoff scandal and how that experience of total loss initiated her. Okay, so there's different things that can initiate people. And the thing is, when you meet somebody who has been that blown open, regardless of what the catalyst was, for me at least, I can resonate with that. I can feel that when I'm with them or even just speaking to them over the phone. What I can feel is that they've gone under and then under and then further under until the whole floor fell open into boundlessness, that their experience has taken them that deep and they can show it to you. Now, somebody who I've had really profound experiences with is Adyashanti, who is a uh, wonderful sort of post-Zen teacher, and uh, many people are finding him interesting. And he helped me a lot talking with him and being with him. I actually felt that being with him, there were sort of bandages around my heart. And just through the course of our time together, those bandages were pulled off. They were like gauze strips that he just kept on He wasn't really doing anything. He was just being himself. It was funny, the, the night before I went to interview him, I had a dream. And in the dream, you know, we had an exchange. And he said, you know, you, you seem to be blah, 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 blah. I couldn't really sleep. So it was sort of a dream, sort of not. And then eight hours later, we're interviewing, we take a break. And he says the exact same thing that he said to me in the dream the night before. Trippy. It was trippy. And and I find him a really, really, really helpful teacher. Now, interestingly, I, in my own path, am working with a body-based practice approach, which we talked about through Tibetan yoga, and that's really important to me. And the way Ajashanti teaches meditation and Sounds True's published programs on it, which is a more just sort of allow everything to be as it is, and then inquire into your experience. That approach, I don't think would work for me. I mean, I've tried it, and I try it, and maybe I just don't know, and I've talked to Adyashanti about this, how to inquire deeply enough. What happens for me is if I'm not rooting my practice at a somatic level, I can just kind of spin off a bit. So I need something physical to keep going back to. So in my own practice, I wouldn't be able to say, you know, Adya, the way you teach is my path. But being around him and talking to him, I think he has a nuclear effect on people because of his own level of realization. Just to highlight one author that you, you talked about recently in a meeting, uh, Eckhart Tolle, mm. you spent some time with him recently on a PBS special, and you said sitting near him was kind of like sitting next to a nuclear reactor, that you're like having some tripped out totally. visions and experiences. And Oh my God. Well, Eckhart, I think, I mean, I call him the now gate, <laughs> the living now gate. And actually I was telling Reggie, about Eckhart and my experiences with him. And he said, oh, Eckhart's like a hole in the universe. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty accurate way to put it. And I do think he kind of feels that way. And, you know, it's interesting when he tells the story of his own awakening, and he tells it very briefly at the beginning of The Power of Now, here he was suicidally depressed and said, I can't stand myself, and then had the thought, who's the I who can't stand myself? Are there two of me? Or one of me, I can't stand myself. He tells the story. And then he heard a voice that said, resist nothing. And the next morning he awoke to the sound of the bird and the bird 
chirping sounded to him like it was inside of him, not outside of him. So that's kind of the way he tells the story. But the way that I interpret it is there was like a vacuum hose that came down from the galaxies or something. And when he heard the resist nothing, it like created the hole in the universe that is now the now gate of Eckhart Tolle. So, yeah, I mean, he is so unique and unusual. And what an unusual destiny he has in terms of, I mean, over 40 million people have downloaded the series that Oprah did with him online. I mean, this is amazing. The number six million copies plus, I mean, that's just of a new earth, 10 million copies of all of his books in print, just in the English language, 30, 40 languages translated all over the world. He's known all over the world. We're actually launching something with Eckhart teachings called Eckhart Tolle TV, which launches on July 1st. And interestingly, people from over 33 different countries have signed up to subscribe to Eckhart Tolle TV because of the interest in him worldwide. So anyway, being around Eckhart, yeah, I mean, the first time I went to interview him, I think this is kind of, just talk about weird, hey, this is Buddhist geek, so, you know, the word karma is probably one of the most popular search words you have, right, on your transcriptions, yeah. So weird karma, which is we create the time to do the interview, set it up about six months in advance. He's not very famous right now, but I still think, wow, this is cool. I'm, I'm really being given a boon to get to interview him. That's great. And here I am. I'm in Vancouver. And the morning that the interview is scheduled is September 11th, 2001. Believe it or not, I wake up to a phone call saying, turn on TV. Can you believe what's... And I call Eckhart's office and I say, well, I presume you don't want to do the interview today. And his business manager says, oh no, Eckhart really wants to do the interview today. And so here Eckhart and I are talking for three hours on the morning of September 11th. And at first when I came to meet him and, I, and I'd never spent any time in person with him, he said, well, why don't we meditate before we start? And I was like, sounds great. So I'm sitting there and, you know, first of all, I'm just so relieved that we're going to get to sit. And we're just staring at each other 10 feet or so away. And that was when all the walls started melting. Like they started dripping with color and melting and the room started turning and there wasn't really a floor or a ceiling. And, you know, I was like, okay, great. I hope I'm not going to have to say anything after this, you know? (laughs) And the good news is I didn't have to say much because I asked him one question, which is what do you make of this day of what has happened? And he proceeded to talk for about 90 minutes in response to that one question. And then here was the moment that I thought uh, later in the interview which is I was asking him about the experience of dying. And he just looked at me and he said, I'm already dead. But here's the interesting thing. When he said that, I saw this cross of light blast right through him and sort of explode onto the room. And I was like, the dude is already dead in a certain kind of way. Yeah. In part, I wanted to ask about Eckhart because... Power of Now was one of the first kind of spiritual books I picked up and it just kind of blew me away reading. And I remember just at certain points, just weeping, thinking this guy knows what he's talking about and there's something really important here. Yeah. And it's, it's so amazing that he's touched that many people who presumably have had similar responses to his writing and, and teaching. Well, interestingly, before he got on Oprah, and I mean, this is only the phenomenon of him being on Oprah and selling this number of books. Yeah, he was popular, but was, it's only a little over a year old. Right. And so for the last, you know, five, eight years, he's been talking about something he calls the flowering of human consciousness. And he uses this metaphor that at one point the earth was covered with plants, but there were no flowers. There was just green 
and I mean, I don't really know if this is true because I don't know very much about the biological, but let's presume it was true, yeah. And then there was one flower that arose someplace on the earth, and before you know it, there were more and more, and then there were flowers on all different parts of the earth that had the right climate to support it. But at one point, there were no flowers. There were just a couple. And so he talks about early enlightened teachers like Buddha and Christ and other teachers as early flowers, but that now here in the beginning of the 21st century, we're going through what he calls a flowering of human consciousness. And he believes that lots and lots of people will be experiencing spiritual awakening and enlightenment in our lifetime in a way that uh, is completely unprecedented. And I remember saying to him, I go, Eckhart, you know, I like so much of your work. I like you. You're a now gate, blah, blah, blah. But I just don't believe this thing about the flowering of human consciousness. I've been working my, you know what, tushy off for how many years? There's a certain small group of niche people who are interested. Look, we have a small business. It's just not, come on. I mean, until we can even elect a decent president in the United States, how can we even talk about the flowering of human consciousness? And then January, the beginning of last year, here, it happened for me actually on the same evening, which is I got a call from his office telling me that Oprah had chosen his book, A New Earth, as the book of the year, her pick for the year, and that she was going to be doing this first online webinar ever with him. And it was later that evening, that, that happened during the day, was when Obama won the Iowa caucus. And I was listening to it on my computer at three in the morning, his acceptance speech. And I actually just started weeping, you know, on my keyboard, thinking like, is it possible that things this good could be happening? Even if it's not like a full flowering, even if it's like a little budding of human consciousness, this is incredible. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.